Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, listener lovers. This is Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you, the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, justthenews.com. Our good friends there, wherever you get your podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course, iTunes, hit the subscribe button, Fox News. I mean, obviously, there's so much going on. It's hard to, it really is hard to keep track of everything. I was, uh, I watched, as per your suggestion, Tucker's Heritage Speech, when was it, last Sunday night or Saturday night? The, right. Their, their right 50th, their 50th anniversary. And... It was terribly moving because it was given in the context of him not having a clue that he was about to lose his job, which technically, thanks to the miserable folks at Fox News, he hasn't done. They've just told him not to come to work, but they're apparently um, uh, insisting that he uh, confine himself to the terms of his contract. But uh, he didn't mention it. Obviously, he would know it. But the one thing that came to my mind, just listening to him, um, his authenticity, how genuine he is, uh, is Ben Franklin's famous quote, you know, whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing, subduing the freeness of speech. Uh, he said something, I, I guess about a third of the way through that, that, that really stuck me. He was talking about the Heritage Foundation. It was uh, their 50th anniversary gala dinner. He was the keynote speaker. And he talked, obviously, wistfully about his very first job out of college, which was as an intern at Hudson and at uh, Heritage. And God knows they've, they've put hundreds and hundreds of kids through that internship program over the years. And he started work, Gary, the very month the Soviet Union collapsed. And he said, not only was it not in his wildest dreams, but at the preeminent conservative think tank in America, it occurred to no one that what had just collapsed in the Soviet Union, this totalitarian superstructure, that um, the totalitarian impulses that everyone thought were dead and gone uh, were about to hit us. And... I just thought it was, if you have not seen it, watch it. It's on YouTube, folks. You can get it anywhere. It's just really powerful. It, it, it is. It was. And, uh, and it is, it is kind of heartbreaking to think that when he was delivering those remarks, he still thought that he had the top primetime, uh, news show on television. Um, there was something else in that speech, Tom, which I think a lot of people are still wrestling with now, including people that you and I admire. Um, he, he said, for a long time, uh, I labored under the pot, uh, under the, the belief that 
debate in America and politics in America uh, were essentially, it was essentially about people, all of whom wanted to get to the same uh, finish line, but merely disagreed on the best way to, to get to that finish line. And he said, it took me a while to realize that that was no longer the case in America. And I, I bring it up again, Tom, because it it is so hard. I, I've run into a lot of people again this week. I mean, people on our side. And they say, Gary, it is so important that we nominate somebody that can bring the country together. And I, I want to punch him in the nose. <laughs> I'm glad you don't. No, yeah, because I, you know, I'd be, in, I'd be in jail with the, with the January 6th demonstrators. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that's a legitimate desire. I mean, it's, it's something we all want, right? We, we're living in a dangerous world. I think it scares the daylights out of people to see how divided we are. And, and I, you know, over, over time, even in the Reagan administration, I, I know what a debate's like when you're trying to, get to the same finish line. You, you know, there were a lot of issues where Reagan was able to talk with Democrats, you know, about now we we wanted to get rid of the Department of Education. They obviously didn't. That's an either or, right? You're either going to have the department and or you're not. And we realized very early on that even though the department had been created by a one vote margin, you couldn't get more than about 10 Republican senators to vote to do away with it. So we were stuck with the department. So then your, the debate began, should it be a, uh, a $10 billion department or should it be a $13 billion department? And that's easy to work out an agreement on. You, you end up somewhere in the middle. And there's a lot of things like that. You know, should we spend this much on national defense or that much on national defense? Should kids have three years of civics in high school or just one year of civics in high school? Now, Tom, we're having a debate on fundamentals. What is a woman? What is a man? Is an unborn child a human being protected by the promises of the Declaration of Independence? Should Was America from its very beginning um, a beacon to the world, a shining city on a hill? Or has it from its very moment of existence been a country built on evil things, founded by people that were Christian nationalists? And uh, we've got to start all over again and, and remake it, transform it. Tom, do you, have you ever said to somebody you loved, I love you, but I want to transform you. <laughs> you know, nobody would think you love them if you're telling them you want to transform them. But that's the that's the first thing out of of the the left's mouth. Well, one more. I uh, did actually, and maybe that's part of the reason I'm divorced. I see. Now I resisted the temptation to bring up the personal thing and suggest that and suggest maybe. That we be told. <laughs> uh, Biden's um, announcement video was really striking to me, Tom, because you know, first of all, he he did get in there. You know, uh, I uh, the MAGA Republicans want to you know, take away your Social Security, but other than that one reference to a program, which you know, was a lie that the issues he mentioned were all issues 
that go to this big battle over values. Five seconds in to the video, you see an image of a demonstrator outside the uh, Supreme Court with a sign that says abortion is health care. No, it isn't. But that's five seconds into the video. And then the, the president uh, attacked parents who want to keep sexually explicit material away from their young children. He said they were banning books. And then third, he said, uh, MAGA Republicans, these extremists out there, these people that don't want abortion and want to ban books, they want to tell you who you can love. Now, Tom, I don't even know what that means. Who you? No, no political movement can tell somebody who you can love, but our laws say things about who you can marry. And uh, we do make illegal some things that people claim uh, on the basis of love they want to do. You know, we, we don't allow yet three people to marry if they all say they love each other. We don't allow a 25-year-old who says he's in love with an 8-year-old to act on his desire. Not according More to people. current UN uh, suggested right. proposals designed yeah. to designed to decriminalize pederasty. Yes. Biden announces, I don't mean, are you done? Sorry. Well, one other thing. Uh, what he outlined in that in that announcement was really uh, moral. I don't even know what to say, but it's it's radicalism. I mean, it's the it it is so divisive, and and to label uh, more than half of America as extremists. If you differ with him on all these things. Now, Tom, all kinds of analysts are saying, well, it's absolutely clear he's going to kill the Republican Party. On these values issues, he will only kill the Republican Party on those values issues if we allow him to get away with it. If we don't respond to those things, if we don't respond to those things and think we can just move on to marginal tax rates, he's going to win the freaking election. Of course he will. Look, Biden, you know, his reelection announcement um, four more years. I don't know whether we can handle it, but his second term, uh, he promoting what he now calls this freedom agenda. Freedom for what? Freedom for grooming and mutilating kids? Freedom for abortion on demand? You know what's interesting? And I've been out of the country for the past couple of weeks, and I'm sure you've noticed this. The Biden administration, through the Justice Department, just announced they're suing the state of Tennessee um, opposed to the Protecting Children from Gender Mutilation Act because it, I guess, prevents them from destroying more kids' lives with this political medical experimentation designed to create a new uh, manufactured minority group that will vote for Dems. But have you noticed that the media uh, never actually refers to the name of the bill, and the name of the bill is Protecting Children from Genital Mutilation Act, where in Florida, they took the name of the bill and they turned it around and don't say gay, right? A slur for this Florida measure protecting kids against uh, uh, groomers in school. Now, there's nothing in this bill that should be controversial to anyone. It's very simple. It's only two sentences long. 
It forbids transgender surgeries on minors and prohibits doctors from prescribing puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to anyone under the age of 18. That's all it says. And that now is something that the government of the United States will legally challenge. Joe Biden is defending the mutilation of minor children. I mean, claiming that, that, that failing to mutilate children is, is immoral. That's his right. argument. It's immoral not to cut the breasts off a 14 year old girl. I, absolutely, Tom. And, and, uh, and if Republicans in full throat at the federal level and the state level would say that, the American people would start coming to the conclusion that Joe Biden needs a doctor, probably a psychiatrist. <laughs> but people, if they know what this is about, will do the right thing. Um, but if you if you just by default, oh, no, 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 Let, let's you know, let's let's stop any tax hikes on millionaires. That's that's what the that's the hill we're going to die on right there. It, it, Bill, uh, Bill, Tom, if we don't if we don't fight back on this, the Republican Party ought to be indicted for political malfeasance. They all ought to resign their positions. I mean, Look, folks, this is um, this is really very simple. If you say to the American people, are you for or against banning books to their credit? The American people will overwhelmingly say, I am adamantly opposed to banning books. But if you say to them, do you think in the second, third and fourth grade, Children should be exposed to books that introduces very explicit sexual topics, not only about heterosexual activity, but about the sexual activity of the LGBTQ community. The American people will overwhelmingly say, no, no, they can't be talking about that on the, these are kids that still believe in Santa Claus and the tooth fairy in some cases. But you gotta make the argument, right? If he, if we let him define us as book burners, we lose. And particularly, excuse me, particularly in light of the fact that they're the book burners, they're the ones that that ban the Bible, any mention of it, any reference to it, let alone to have a Bible in a school library. Uh, that's completely verboten, unfair. No one is being denied medical care in Tennessee. There's a ban, if the law holds this SB1, of performing medical experiments that aren't treating a medical condition, but an alleged psychological condition and the outcome of which has so far resulted not in lower suicide rates, Gary, but higher suicide rates. This this assistant attorney general, uh, Kristen Clark, who's a total left winger, um, can't define a woman, can't define a transgender. And yet on behalf of the United States is going to court arguing that kids are being discriminated against because they're not being mutilated. It, yeah. It's this is Alice in Wonderland. And there are already people that sadly fell for this deception and allowed their bodies to be, be mutilated or were convinced by the culture and progressive parents or social media to to take these puberty blockers and to, and to go through the surgeries 
and now are incredibly unhappy and are doing everything they can to go back to try to recapture who, how God made them, to, to recapture their physical integrity. And it's not easy. It's very difficult to do. And Tom, those individuals, the ones that are doing that, and some of them, a handful of them, are willing to talk about it publicly. You want to talk about hate? Those former people that went through the transgender process and now want to reverse it are excoriated on social media when they talk about the experience they're going through now. This movement is a hateful movement, is a violent movement, and we are allowing Joe Biden to make us look like the bad guys when we're trying to protect these children. Tom, think about this analogy. You know, there's this condition, this psychological condition, where uh, someone, usually a woman uh, or a young girl, uh, will look in the mirror and, th- and they're a normal weight, but they look in the mirror and they see a fat girl and they're mortified because they don't think they're attractive. They won't be attractive to boys. And so they begin to starve themselves and, and they get to the point where they, they look forgive the analogy, like, you know, they just came out of a concentration camp, but they will still tell everybody around them, no matter what I do, I'm still fat. Now, what if those young women started going to doctors and saying, I've tried everything, but I'm still fat. I want you to perform that surgery on me where you take out you know, 75% of my intestines so that I won't be able to digest food. That's going to be the only way I can lose weight. What if a doctor started performing that surgery on those young girls? He would lose his license. He would be ridden out of town on a rail. That would be abusive medical treatments because you are reinforcing a delusion that the young woman has. And yet we've got the entire Democrat Party, all of social media, most of the regular media, all promoting this delusion and demanding that eight, nine and 10 year olds that don't know what's going on in their lives. Tom, there's a lot of research showing a disproportionate number of these young kids are suffering from uh, other mental disorders, um, uh, you know, anxiety disorders, uh, mental depression. And it's not because they're trapped uh, in another body. It's, it's because they have useless, cowardly parents. And yes. Yeah. Now, some parents, you know, have, have are, are mortified to hear that their children are doing this and they're being aided and abetted by school officials who haven't told the parents. And those parents find themselves having to fight in court for the right to prevent their children from going through this kind of medical treatment. Three states already, Tom, I think it's... Uh, uh, Oregon, Washington, and California, I think a couple of them have already passed laws 
that says if you are a child and you want to go through this and your parents won't let you, all you got to do is come to our state, get somebody to bring you our state. We will protect you and we will make sure you get the medical treatments here. That's the so-called bedrock freedom, quote unquote, that Joe Biden used in his reelection announcement. And again, the other night, I guess it was on Jimmy Kimmel, the bedrock freedoms that he accuses the MAGA Republican of trying to strip away from the American people. That's a bedrock freedom. Transgenderism is a bedrock freedom. Abortion on demand is a bedrock freedom. Uh, totalitarianism is a bedrock freedom. Shutting people up you don't agree with is a bedrock freedom controlling big tech, rigging elections. By the way, did you hear RFK, uh, 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 Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? I've always thought the guy was a nut, okay? I've never taken much of what he said seriously, but he's... I always, not always, but for most of the last five, six years, I was thinking to myself, wow, this guy, that, where, where does he fit? How can we utilize him? Why don't we invite him to our side? But anyway, go on, because I no, don't know where he is on everything. Well, he's just he just went uh, ballistic, trashing the Democrats for having rigged our electoral system. Late, yeah, no debate, right? Right. No. De- well, he was actually talking about 2020, the last minute election changes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And wow. I mean, he's wow. got to be giving Democrats fits, right? Yes. You know, uh, a month ago when there were rumors he might run, he was at nine percent. Then a poll came out after he announced and he was at 14 percent. Fox News had a poll last night on Fox Evening News. He's at 19 percent, according to their poll. That's Uh, unbelievable. I mean, it makes, you know, Bannon. Remember, we talked about this. Steve Bannon suggested Robert F. Uh, Kennedy Jr. ought to to be um, considered to be the vice presidential running mate uh, for Trump or presumably for others that might get the nomination. and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. actually appeared right here on Sirius XM The Patriot on Sunday with uh, um, uh, Marlo at, at Breitbart News Sunday. I, I, I don't know where he fits. I don't know how this – they have completely rigged their primary system. There are no debates. Joe Biden cannot debate. He ran a successful uh, first-term campaign with no campaign. Now he can do it, as you pointed out the other day, from the basement of the White House. It worked the first time. The man travels overseas on state visits and breaks 75 years of protocol, not holding a joint press avails with whoever his formal host is, which is part and parcel of statecraft, because he can't. He cannot yes. put a sentence together. He cannot speak coherently about anything. He doesn't know how to spell jobs. He doesn't <laughs> Did you hear him the other day? About 8%. E-A-G-I, whatever. Couldn't even spell the... It's, it's pathetic and it's funny, but it's now become so controlled and so contorted. I don't, I wonder how long Democrats themselves can keep this facade up. There will be no debates, no primary debates. It, it, you know, that, that's an interesting question, Tom. I would think that uh, people would really begin to bristle about this. I don't know if this story reached all the way to Poland. And I do realize, uh, you know, we have this thing, Internet. Uh, it's called, so you might even be, have been able to see it all the way in Poland. But uh, uh, I think the New York Post captured somehow uh, one of the cards, the note cards the president had at, at a, a briefing where he was going to be taking some questions. And the card had 
a photo of the reporter, the reporter's name, how to say it phonetically, and what the reporter was going to ask. So reporters are giving that information to the White House staff before the president takes questions, right? Now, Tom, when the president talks to reporters, he's talking to a group, 99% of whom agree with him. So, and you know, unless he makes a mistake and calls on Ducey or, or that the delightful man from an, uh, from Africa that, that oh, the been, OAU guy, yeah, yeah, been trying to answer a question, ask a question for for months, but they can't, they can't let him just go out there and call on reporters. They've got to say to him now, Mr. President, look at the card. You're supposed to call on this person, Joe Smith. The phonetic pronunciation is right under Joe, J-O, Smith. Uh, And this is the question you're going to be asked. And here's the answer. Memorize the answer. Now, Mr. President, don't go out there and start talking about your record on Amtrak. Don't talk about the many years you were a truck driver. Or the hair on your legs. Yeah, yeah, you were accepted to the, uh, uh, the Naval Academy. Mr. President, please. Do not bring out, do not bring up corn pop or, or how uh, uh, you, you uh, did this and you did that, uh, sir. He, he goes to synagogues more question. than Jews. He was buried in a cemetery. Uh, he, he was born. What, what was the latest business about his grandfather being buried in a cemetery where he was buried? Joe, you're still alive, Joe. I think uh, that they're buried in the same. And of course, the media covers it up entirely. I hate to burst your bubble on this, but I will let you in on a little secret. And you know this because you worked in the White House. Everything about the cards and the prompting and the masking tape, that's normal. But the questions, I mean, I will admit, I'll confess, uh, we had to phonetically spell out names <laughs> a lot too, particularly well, po- I, Polish let's names. Well, I remind anybody who you work for, but I mean, <laughs> Ronald Reagan could pronounce names. I, I mean, could he? I, I don't remember. Could he? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, maybe the names were simpler then. That was before the mass migration right. to America, where and then all the hyphenated stuff. You know, you got to you call on somebody, you got to pronounce five names. That's right, know? Joe. <laughs> although I was Trump was excellent with name pronunciation, and when he didn't get it right, he didn't care. He wasn't self conscious about it. He was very good with names. Our dear friend, who I love dearly, uh, he'll confess, uh, not so great sometimes with Slavic names. But the business about trouble. I have trouble pronouncing some names. Gary, Gary, you have trouble pronouncing your own children's names. No, no, no. I've got that. But I, you know, I grew up in Kentucky, where when you know, in the area I grew up in, everybody's last name was Combs. So <laughs> there were just a lot of Combses. It was very easy. My all, best friend was Combs and my worst enemy was Combs. All I remember. Two different people. All I remember was a great op-ed of yours in the Washington Post in which you misspelled the name of your own son. No, no, no. Yes, yes, not, yes. No. You spelled was, it Z-A-C-K. No, the, the. No, H. You misspelled it. You misspelled his name. said that, not me. <laughs> uh. All right. I don't want to. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to have to. I'm not going to. I don't want to get into fact checking you. But um, now the uh, look, the other thing I want to get into is we've got and you and I have alluded to this ever since Silicon Valley Bank. 
if we can invert, you know, Janet Yellen's definition of inflation as being transitory, I think we're in a mid-sized banking crisis that is not transitory. The First Republic situation indicates something far deeper. Now, you and I, when uh, if I'm going to go out and open a restaurant or a pizza shop, I'm not going to go to J.P. Morgan. I'm not going to go to uh, PNC. I'm going to have to go to a local bank because bigger banks aren't going to waste their time. And when we now see deposits racing away from regional banks and local banks that are the bedrock of our economy, they really are. Small business is the engine of this country, and they're financed by these smaller regional banks. And you know, we've gone from 0% interest rates. I don't need to tell you that you know far more about this than I do. 0% interest rates, basically net zero, to 5% in what, nine months, 10 months? Yes. Unprecedented since ever. I mean, the, even the Depression, this didn't happen. So I, I don't know. I think we are. What are your thoughts? I mean, where are we going economically here? I don't. I, I think we're in a very perilous time and uh, everybody's doing everything they can. Uh, the media and certainly the, uh, uh, the, the Biden administration uh, to prevent people from getting a, their arms around how perilous this moment is because, uh, and, and it's understandable, if people fully understand it, there's going to be a run on the banks. And, you know, the old saying about the run on the banks is it's bad to uh, want to take all your money out of a bank uh, unless you're first in line. If you're first in line, get your freaking money out of the bank. But the rest of the people in line, as Jimmy Stewart, uh, uh, you know, tried to patiently explain to his neighbors and friends in It's a Wonderful Life. And by the way, that is that that little segment of It's a Wonderful Life it is the epitome of what the importance is of of local banking, right? The, 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 to be able to walk, be a, a, a working class person or a, an, a, somebody who wants to start a little business, to be able to walk into a bank where you may very well know the loan officer. He might live down the street from you. You may go to church with him. Maybe you get a drink at the same bar he does on Friday night. And, and he knows your character. He knows that he lent you some money personally uh, a couple years ago. And just like you t- said, you paid him back within a week. All that's important. You walk into a branch of Bank of, uh, you know, Bank of America or Citicorp or all that. They don't know you from a hill of beans. And unless the government's telling them you, they've got to give you a loan, if you don't, uh, you know, if you fit in one of the favorite categories, uh, you, you're not going to get, uh, you know, that break to, to to have a better life than the life you're having now by being able to access capital. There's another so, element. There's another element here that, of course, the media uh, will be loath to point out. This is manufactured. What was Joe Biden's very first act upon becoming president? Restricting. American energy production. What happened? The price of energy exploded. That led to massive inflationary pressure. How did Joe Biden deal with a massive inflationary pressure? He pumped $2 trillion into the economy. It's all part of a pattern. So now we've got this massive uh, uh, debt problem. I read this morning in the Wall Street Journal that uh, total debt in the United States, public, private, 
uh, corporate private equity, $70 trillion. That's, that's our, that's our debt obligation. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's, it's all part of a pattern, the pattern of, of restriction, right? From climate change and all we have to spend on that to all these new obstacles that the left and government is throwing up. Uh, they, screamed to high heaven about no affordable housing. Well, who's out there blocking new construction? Who's out there trying to federalize suburbs and trying to nationalize zoning? They're choking the free exchange of ideas out there in the marketplace. We have man-made artificial food shortages, these diet modifications, these, these personal health strictures. It's all designed to weaken you and to strengthen them. I mean, it's everything now that's happening is happening to make it easier for them to make choices for you and harder for you to make choices for yourself. Yep, that that that's a that well said, Tom. You, you know, there's a there's an overlaying uh, issue on all this too, and the banking part of it, which is that we, we've already seen that the big banks. Uh, willingly cave to the demands of the cultural left. So, you know, we, 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 we talked to some months ago about, uh, former, um, uh, the former senator from Kansas, uh, uh, that, uh, was the, 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 uh, Trump, Brownback? uh, Pence, uh, administration's, uh, ambassador for religious liberty. Sam Brownback, Brownback yeah. yeah. Yeah, Senator Brownback. So uh, after he left that post. See what I mean, folks? I'm going to interrupt. See what I mean? Yeah. Gary is very close personal friends with Sam Brownback. I am not a close personal friend. And he's very close personal friend. Didn't even know his name. Yeah, yeah, I was just having a senior moment, Tom. People don't realize that I'm 97. Um, Yeah, this morning I called Carol Mary. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure that went over well. Right. Uh, At any rate, one of the big banks, he uh, Brownback opened a, an account there for this new group he had that is defending religious liberty, and he goes to make a deposit at the bank, and the the, the teller puts in the the account number, and he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry, sir, uh, your account's frozen. Uh, we you can't take anything out, and you can't put anything in." And Brownback says, "What?" And he goes, uh, "Yeah, it, it's frozen." Well. Why would it be frozen? And the guy goes, I don't know. It says, uh, uh, you know, order of, uh, of corporate headquarters. And it took him weeks to unravel that. And then they were making un- unbelievable demands. Well, we'll unfreeze your account. But first, we need to see the names of all the candidates that you're supporting uh, with money from this C4 organization. What? Yeah. So uh, it's important to have these local banks, you know, uh, big banks have been pressured to not make loans to companies that are gun manufacturers. You know, they the, the Biden administration has been pressuring the big banks don't finance more oil drilling. At the same time, the administration is demanding more oil drilling to get them out of the fix of rising gasoline prices, or they're complaining that the oil companies aren't drilling more. This was after they tried to stop them from drilling. But the same administration, uh, Kerry and these other people, the, you know, the climate czar are trying to get the big banks to shut off loans, uh, to uh, exploration and production companies. 
So it's really important that the local uh, and community banking systems survive. But that banking system is really in some ways hanging by a thread because if this becomes a contagion where one bank after another, small uh, local and community banks are, are losing deposits, it, it could become a wildfire easily. Uh, absolutely. A 1929 to 1932 depression-like event exacerbated, accelerated by our Treasury Secretary's all but official announcement that the 27 trillion or whatever in deposits are all guaranteed. You know, there, the FDIC was created by President Roosevelt. Actually, it was by President, who, no, it, it was Roosevelt, uh, with very limited insurance provisions on personal and business deposits. It's now gone up to 250,000. SVP, which is a big Democrat bank, they went bust at what, 30, 40 billion dollars, something, no more, I think. And, all deposits instantly guaranteed. There's going to come a point when the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is the entity that guarantees all these uh, uh, f- uh, personal deposits in federally chartered banks, not only has no money, but there's no money in the entire system. I mean, that's what happened in Weimar, Germany in 1923 when the banks froze and their Fed equivalent, I can't, the Reichsbank or whatever it was called at that point, had no alternative but to deal with the commitments they made by cranking the, the printing, the money machine, cranking the printing presses. Yes. yes. Until you got to the point, you know, in Weimar, in Weimar where if you wanted to go grocery shopping, you literally had to get a wheelbarrow and fill it up with the worth, worthless marks that you had in order to, you know, carry that to the grocery store and to get a couple of loaves of bread and some milk maybe or whatever. Yeah, no, um, it, it's it's a huge problem, Tom. Look, there is some good stuff going on out there, by the way. We should mention a few of them. Kudos to Speaker McCarthy. Yes, I agree. Who yesterday with a razor, th- or earlier this week with a razor thin majority, uh, was able to get through a, a bill that did raise the debt ceiling, which ultimately we have to do or risk a default, but also had embedded in it serious proposals to get spending under control. And of course, the the president announced immediately that if by some miracle it made it to his desk by getting through the United States Senate, uh, that he would veto it. Uh, but uh, it does start this uh, showdown going. And, and uh, Tom, the, the next part of this is going to be harder than passing it because the Democrats are already saying, oh, he wants to cut. He's cutting veterans benefits. He's cutting, uh, uh, you know, law enforcement, which all of which is horse poopy. Uh, but so Republicans have to say what they are cutting. Uh, and, you, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff to say here. You know, we're cutting back uh, this ideological uh, juggernaut at the Federal Department of Education that's been indoctrinating your kids. We're getting rid of those departments that are doing all that stuff. you got to say and, and make a point of, of what you're cutting back or the media and the Democrats will, will do it for you. The federal budget numbers that we're spending today have eclipsed what we were told was urgent, immediate, uh, transitory spending for the pandemic. Isn't it funny 
I'm struck by this. They have, and they're very effective, the Democrats, because for some stupid reason, we fall for it every time, the Armageddon of a government shutdown, right? The government um, will be closed tomorrow at 5 o'clock. I don't think it'll reopen till Monday morning. The country will they'll be perfectly fine. For two years... That's why people look forward to weekends. For two years... They shut down you and your neighbor and everybody else. They shut down the entire country. They shut down 330 million people for 18 months. And yet they still get away with this, this, this draconian rhetoric, this Armageddon rhetoric about a government shutdown. Why do we fall for it? I, I don't understand why we fall. Most people, Mitch Daniels, former governor of my state, Indiana, had a great line. You'd be amazed at how much government people won't miss. Why are we so spooked by the prospect of a government shutdown? And why has no one made the point that the very people who are now crying wolf, the Cassandras, were the very people who shut down a $22 trillion economy for a year and a half? Uh, folks, this is why I keep uh, Rose on in the Bauer and Rose show. Otherwise, it would just be Bauer, Bauer, Bauer <laughs> all the time. Uh, that's a fantastic point, Tom. I will ruthlessly and shamelessly uh, steal that point. I will work it into my daily uh, email report I send out. And as you know, I will not credit you with this. Uh, but time. have you heard that? I don't. I, I, I've not. I have not heard it until now. And I'm sitting here kicking myself that I haven't thought about it. But and of course, the the answer they would give is, but that was an emergency. Well, so is this moment. But Mitch McConnell, right. But Mitch McConnell uh, is not much better than Joe Biden on this. His very first negotiating position is we're not shutting the government down. Well, you've basically handed over. And I'm not advocating that. But if it happens for a week, for 10 days, the country will survive. The sun will come up. Many times in the past, Tom, it happened multiple times in the Reagan administration. It happened routinely over the years. Uh, And it's, you know, what people worry about is, you know, they, they because the left and the media will start demagoguing it. And they're they're already doing some of that. I'm not going to get my Social Security check. Yes, you will. Those things are always saying you're going to you know, veterans will get their their check for, you know, for their disabilities. Those things can be continued, will be continued. Nobody is jeopardizing those things. But you're absolutely right, Tom. The Department of Housing and Urban Development can shutter its doors for a week and mortgages will still be issued. Loans will still be made. House sales will still take place. It's settlements and all the rest of it. You can just go on and on and on. By the way, the Pentagon doesn't go home. We don't shut our military bases down and not fly, you know, patrols anymore. All that continues it's all the other you know what that's in the federal government that just keeps and we can meet fighting. our debt obligations with god forbid a shutdown the government takes in 5 trillion dollars a year our interest payments they're outrageous they're disgustingly high approaching 1 trillion so let's say worse comes to worse and it, this wasn't part of our uh, of uh, Speaker McCarthy's package this time either, but they're not making the point. I don't necessarily condemn Democrats 
for the strategy because it works, because there's nobody on the other side to say, wait a second, didn't you just inject seven trillion phony dollars into our economy because you closed the entire country down for 18 months? Yeah, I I mean, we should never let anybody forget that that shutdown which was supposed to be 15 days to stop the spread, that it turned into, I I think in some ways, a government exercise to see just how long they could keep us locked up in our houses. I I mean, it's what, it's what the Chinese communists did. Uh, they, they went even a little further when uppity people began to leave their apartment buildings. In some cases, the Chinese communists literally nailed their apartment doors shut. So they could not leave their, uh, condominiums or apartments or whatever. But Tom, we all saw, I mean, I watched videos of, of people being arrested, taking a walk on the beach. You know, I mean, I saw, playgrounds where they put padlocks on the fences so that children could not go in and play. And the irony of it all was that being outdoors was the most healthy thing you could do during the pandemic because the virus spread outdoors the least effective way. It was what we told everybody to do, stay indoors that raised the chances if somebody in your group got exposed to COVID, you would end up getting exposed to it, too. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I don't fault anyone, really, because yeah. we didn't know what was going on. But within even two, three months, we knew what was going on, let alone 18 months. And then you've got uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Gigolo Fauci. Talking to the New York Times the other day, taking no responsibility. He blames Trump for the pandemic. <laughs> and remember, do you, re- you remember, obviously, during the press conference in which on March 15th, when Vice President Pence, together with the president, announced 15 days to stop the spread. The president then took the microphone, took, came to the podium. Yeah. And the first thing he said was. We're going to beat this. We're going to lick this. But we got to get the country moving again. This is only going to be temporary. And he got excoriated. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and Tom, look, I, I know some people, some some people like us have said, you know, Trump's big mistake was listening to Fauci and closing the government. Look, uh, folks, if <laughs> Uh, respectfully, I've been inside government. I've You've worked in a White House. I've worked in a White House, Tom. There is a dynamic. If the experts in the government come to the president of the United States and tell that president, we have information that this is going to happen. Here's the scientific basis for it. If we don't take immediate action, you know, 15 million people could die. If Trump said, yeah, well, thanks for telling me, but I don't believe you, and I'm not shutting anything down. <laughs> if we think there were bad moments during the Trump administration, the outcry that would they would be able to put together, bashing the president and bashing Republicans in the Congress, it would end up getting shut down anyway, eventually. And all the deaths that occurred in the interim 
would be placed solely on the heads. They of- were. They blamed. Remember that it was like a basketball uh, scroll on the bottom of the yep. screen. How many died yep. under Trump? How many did Trump kill? How many did Ron DeSantis kill? Ron DeSantis is, is murdering Americans. Trump's a murderer. Joe Biden basically said any man who presides over X number of deaths, I don't know what it was, doesn't deserve to be president. Well, under Joe Biden, I think there have been three, now maybe four times as many COVID deaths, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Certainly, it's a multiple. It's, it's, a, it's a large That's multiple. That's not even counting the abortion deaths. You know, I mean, it is, uh, so, you know, they, uh, the, the media started referring to DeSantis as Ron Death Santos. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. That's cute. I wonder how many brain cells they used up thinking that up, you know. Uh, it's, um, I, you know, Tom, it, it is a wonder given their dominance in all forms of communication, uh, that, that we managed to have even close elections in the United States. Now, having said that, I, I want to take us back to where we kind of started. There are incredibly interesting things happening in the political dynamic in America. Uh, you know, most billionaires are leftists, but we, we've got Elon Musk. He's hard to put in, in into a box. I, I disagree with him about some transhumanism stuff that has nothing to do with transgenderism, but this idea of molding robots and people into the same entity. This Yuval Hariri, this Yuval yeah, Hariri thing about Elon, post, post sapiens or whatever that, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that, but he's, he is totally committed to freedom of speech and that ain't nothing in America today. And then you've got liberals like even Bill Maher, you know, who's jumping ship on more and more more things. Um, you, you've got uh, this this phenomena of Robert uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Where's where's that going to end up? Could there be some sort of fusion ticket that would blow up the Democrats? You said uh, that. I'll I'll give you some credit. I guess I'll have to say reluctantly, it's deserved <laughs> credit. Uh, you've been you use the term fusion ticket. You've used it now, maybe for three four weeks in a row. Um, and I didn't pay attention the first couple of times because I really don't listen to everything you say. But I've, I've noticed it now because I'm hearing some resonance. I'm hearing other people. I'm, I'm seeing the, the RFK Jr. phenomenon, the discussion of, uh, of a, a Tucker candidacy. And that yeah. harkens back to your, your fusion theories. Yeah, you know, Tucker, uh, I think it's – I don't see the obvious lane he has – as long as uh, there's uh, some other very well-known people in the race. But Tucker uh, went on Twitter yesterday with a little video, and uh, I I just read some things about it. And he said, first of all, I I can't tell you how refreshing it is, you know, to have a few days where I'm just talking to average Americans and not talking to all the people I was dealing with. And he goes, I'm just being reminded how good and decent and funny my fellow Americans are, you know, there's a great reservoir of good people here. And and then he, a little later, he said, you know, the other thing that strikes me is that we're having huge debates about things that really don't matter. And in just a few years, maybe even a few months, we'll forget what we were screaming about. But he said, the irony is really important things like war, emerging science and technology and how it could actually threaten our freedoms. 
um, the growing power of corporate America that is wedded increasingly with the left, uh, these things we're not devoting time to debate. And they are central to whether we can save our country. You know, we're running out of time, but I do have to share this small anecdote. Uh, yesterday was Israel's, or Thursday, Wednesday, um, was Israel's 75th Independence Day. I was in Israel and I uh, spent the afternoon with a bunch of uh, big Israeli big shots, just a uh a barbecue outdoors with burgers, and it was absolutely lovely. And what did all these people want to talk about? Tucker Carlson. Really? Yep. That's fascinating. Wow. That was the, that was at least 30% of this three, four hour conversation was Tucker. Well, you know, um, um, the, 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 somebody else that parted from Fox years ago, and I forget which one it was. But the spot that he opened up when he left was filled ultimately by the five. Glenn Beck. What's that? Glenn Beck. Yeah, Glenn Beck. It was Glenn Beck. Uh, I thought it might be O'Reilly. But no, you're right. It's Glenn Beck. So the five became is a very popular show. And because of that show, Greg Gutfeld became well known. Now, I think he's got kind of a wacky sense of humor, and sometimes <laughs> a little, uh, a little too uh, edgy for my for my taste. But he was discovered, quote unquote, and now has the most popular late night talk show. And what about Jesse Waters, who was right. O'Reilly's, you know, streetwalker? Yeah. Yeah, uh, but so no, but, but no one's knows. like Tucker. But nobody. I mean, there's a, there's an authenticity, there's a depth, there's a fearlessness, there's a, a, a liberated persona in Tucker that nobody, uh, there, there just wasn't anyone like him. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's past tense, but there isn't anyone like him. And yeah, I don't agree with him on a bunch of stuff. The UFO right. thing, for instance, yeah, <laughs> his obsession yeah. with UFOs. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, that, that's a topic for another Bauer and Rose show. <laughs> but, but let me just mention, Tom, that this morning on, or earlier this week on CNBC, Joe Kernan, who's the only conservative, in my view, on that morning CNBC show, was lashing out at MAGA Republicans for causing the possibility of a default on our debt. And I thought to myself, how do you explain that? That is one of the first signs of what Tucker's leaving has caused. I think Joe Kernan saw that and thought to himself, wow, that guy was the star of primetime TV and they were able to take him out. What's little Joe Kernan from Cincinnati, Ohio? I better start throwing some bones here or CNBC might squash my career on oh TV. Well, we are now definitely out of time, but not out of, not out of ideas, not out of thoughts, and not out of provocative, outrageous statements and comments. <laughs> yeah, but all of that. <laughs> all of that and more. Anyway, this is terrific. And by the way, uh, now, if, if anyone is still listening... Uh, this is Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and the Bower and Rose podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>